Does being in a relationship right now mean that you must practice the social distancing and the hygiene practices the way your partner wants? And now for something completely different. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Hey, good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you happen to be, however you happen to be listening to this. Welcome back. I'm really glad to have you back. This is Tony Dufresne, of course, your host. This is the Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. So I want to jump in to this week with something I touched on last week, which was the dynamics of relationships. I'm going to talk about the virus and the isolation. Then I'm going to talk about the relationship challenges that are happening right now. I was reading through some articles, doing some research on the show, and I came across this Rolling Stone article, and this is what it said. It says, these fights tend to follow a very predictable pattern. One partner's concerned about COVID-19 transmission, and the other is, well, less so. And then it gives a couple examples of, she doesn't want me to hang out with my buddy or even go to the store without a ton of protective gear. And I refuse to give up on all of my independence, and I don't think I have to do this. I mean, I'm healthy, and I can wash my hands, and everything's okay, and it's being blown way out of proportion. The crisis right now, it's creating a new relationship paradigm. It's exposing coping skills. It's exposing how people see things, like from an internal, they call it the internal working order, or from how you were created, how you were wired from the very beginning, your fear of the unknown your levels of the fear of the unknown, your trust issues between your partner based on different reactions to the threat and isolation, just like I talked about in the story earlier. The financial stress that's coming from the unknown job situations. How about the loss of perceived personal space or independence? I say perceived because you know people, when they're in closer quarters physically, they tend to think that they have less personal space where Basically, it's that's just a concept from a physical standpoint, and it doesn't really have to feel that way, but people have that thing. So there's also, and I've seen it in a number of Reddit threads, too much concern by one partner about the virus to maintain the relationship, to keep the sex going, to continue with the intimacy, to continue developing the relationship. They're too much in threat mode to be able to continue further with that. One guy even said that he feels as though his wife's turning into his drinking buddy and they're losing the relationship. All of this begs a very basic question. Does being in a relationship right now mean that you must practice the social distancing and the hygiene practices the way your partner wants? Now at play here is a very well-known concept in couples therapy. And it's something that always operates in intimate relationships. We each want to have a sense of ownership of our own independence, of our own autonomy. And you have to. To have a functional, healthy relationship, you have to maintain a sense of self. And our choice to share our life with somebody also means that we've agreed to take their wants and needs and values and concerns into consideration. So what happens when something comes up like this coronavirus crisis to where it is life-threatening? Well, that's the rhetorical question of the day because obviously, if you guys are so far apart on this, there's no way you're going to be able to bury it because it hits at the core of survival. It hits at the core of life itself. Other things you can dance around and you can compromise about because it's maybe not be a big thing to you or them, 
But when it comes down to uh, life or death, and especially if it comes down to it having an impact on a child or a grown adult that is living with you, and you know that your actions directly impact a life, the feelings that come up during nodal events and why they're so important and why they're so impactful and why there's so much change that revolves around nodal events, our reaction to these comes from our feelings of attachment during early childhood. And that has influenced every relationship we have had since. And it also impacts how we prioritize things when things get scary. According to the theory, interactions with inconsistent or unreliable or insensitive attachment figures interferes with the development of a secure, stable mental foundation. So if the kid doesn't get at least one parent that is there for him, that they know it's there for him, that emotionally and physically, it's going to put you behind the eight ball a little bit in regards to dealing with heavy stuff like we are dealing with right now. And you wonder why there's so many problems going on right now because of this particular situation. It's not just, hey, let's just chill in the house for a couple months and watch Netflix and gain a couple pounds drinking too much. This taps at core issues within ourselves. And the hardest part about it is is that in a relationship, one person could have a totally different sense of attachment than the other, and that's why we're having these issues. Now, there are four types of attachment. And it all comes down, and attachment being how emotionally available you can be to somebody, how vulnerable you can be to somebody and feel safe. That's what it comes down to. And it's measured based on levels of anxiety or avoidance or both. The secure attachment, number one, is the most, obviously the most secure. This is the best case scenario. You're comfortable with intimacy. You're not worried about rejection or preoccupied with relationships. I mean, it's like it's easy to get close to others and you're comfortable depending on them and having them depend on you. Uh, You don't worry about being abandoned or about somebody getting too close to you. And in terms of dealing with a crisis, secure people remain relatively undisturbed during times of stress and they recover faster from distress and they experience longer periods of positive feelings, which contributes to overall emotional well-being and mental health. Again, this is the kid that at least mom or dad or if they were raised by their grandparents or you know what I mean, had somebody there for them, had somebody there to nurture them emotionally and physically, had somebody there to answer the questions, had somebody there that they could you know, wander off a little bit and know that when they come back, that person will be there. And they're not going to be there conditionally, whereas they might be there physically, but then they're doing their own thing and they don't care about the kid and just say, you know, you know, get away. They're there for them emotionally and physically. That's the secure. Then there's the avoidant. This is when there's a high level of avoidance in regards to being in relationships and connecting with somebody. Now, they're low on anxiety, which means pretty much you're disconnected. You're uncomfortable with closeness. And you value independence and freedom. And you're not worried about your partner's availability. You are uncomfortable being close to others. And you find it difficult to trust and depend on others. And prefer that others don't depend on you. And you have a hard time when your partner wants to be more intimate 
than you want to be. You get a little uncomfortable with that. Now, in terms of dealing with a crisis like we're dealing with right now, avoidant individuals prefer to separate their emotions from their thoughts and their actions. And as a result of that, they tend to present this facade or this face of security and composure and calmness. But what they're doing is they're basically suppressing that distress. Then you've got anxious people. They want the closeness. They want the intimacy. They're very insecure about the relationship. They, they want to be close with others, but others are reluctant to get as close as they would like. It's, always, it's sort of always never enough for these people. And then they worry that their partner doesn't love or value them and may abandon them because they don't want to be as close as they are. And in terms of dealing with a crisis, anxious people find negative emotions to be actually sort of food for their system. It gets them more fired up. It hyperactivates them. So what happens is that energy comes out with socially destructive outbursts and violence and screaming and yelling and impulsive reactions to things and demanding behavior towards your partner. The last one is called disorganized or disoriented. And this is basically the worst of both worlds. This is a high on, on avoidance and high on anxiety. In a kid, it would be they run up to their mom and then they immediately pull away because they feel as though they're trying to play this this power struggle with the mom. And if you're in a relationship like that, that's the person that, that will come close to you. And then when you hit on it in terms of in, uh, engaging on that closeness or that intimacy, then they'll back away. So, because it's always about them wanting to be one step ahead. It's always about them not wanting to ex- expose themselves and to be overly vulnerable because they don't trust you, which is not you per se, but they don't trust the family member, the mom or the dad back in attachment theory times when they were young because the mom would be there for them, but only 60% of the time. And the other 40%, she looked like she was there and they would run up, but then she'd just kind of push them away or, you know, start drinking again or something. So that's why they become, that's the ambivalence because they, they're not sure and they don't trust that what they see or how things have been set up is actually how it is. And so they have to be really careful about it. And without trusting it, now they're just playing the game. And they don't allow themselves fully to be vulnerable or to fully emotionally connect. You may be a combination of all of those things. It matters which one is the one driving the bus. So can you see why the only way that relationships will survive this is if they consist of at least one secure attachment person? Now, the solutions that I saw online during my research mostly had to do with, okay, hey, you're having problems or this is different. So here's what you got to do. Check yourself, you know, make sure that you, your attitude is good, realize what's going on and it's not the same and it won't be this way for the whole time. You know, do some self, self soothing, do some meditation, do some journaling, uh, you know, bite your tongue. You know, if somebody goes off and they're having a major anxiety crisis attack, you know, don't overreact to that, Uh, you know, stay in your lane, you know, let them process it the way that they want to, you know, create space, have some fun, play a game, you know, acknowledge your differences and be okay with that, which is all, I mean, I don't have a problem with any of those things. That's great in like normal circumstances because all that is, is really pattern interruption and just awareness, 
and clarity and empathy sympathy towards other people and especially in in term in regards to relationship that's fine but all that stuff ain't gonna help you in a crisis situation like we're having now there's actually only one solution so far out of decades and decades of research on attachment theory the solution to this is about taking care of yourself acknowledging where you're at and then taking steps to bring you closer into the secured versus acting with the avoidance or acting with the anxious or acting with the disorganized. Basically, it's giving you the key to unlock the door towards that secured attachment because what they have found is just because you were wired that way and that's how your attachment was as a kid if you had a dysfunctional issue with your parents, one or two of them, there is a way you can make it better. There is a way you can reprogram yourself and it's called security priming. What it is is you creating a foundation of security by looking at pictures of people that you know, that you feel as though they are very secure, they are very grounded. Reciting names of people give you that sense and that calmness of security when you think about who that is. It's through like running little movies in your mind about certain times during your life, and it doesn't have to be when you were really young. You were with somebody in a situation that was maybe a bit of a minor crisis and you saw them handle it or you remember back how you felt with somebody that dealt with things you felt that security you felt that comfort is you want to make those memories not subconscious but you want to put them in the front of your mind you want to make them easily accessible which is an exact quote from the research so when you start to spiral that's when it should click in your mind and just start to think about that person or those people in your life that you felt a level of security and you felt a level of calm. Because when you do that, you're basically reprogramming your mind into the possibilities of that being the case for you as well. Because it is. And with this, what it's showing you is the reality of being secure, the reality of having that grounding anchor to secure yourself in times of extreme crisis. It, it's alive. It's a real thing. It exists. Around you today, right now, even though you think it doesn't, even though you spiral out of control thinking that everything's going to go to hell. I mean, one way or the other, avoidant, disorganized, anxious, whatever the case may be. Not the case because there is somebody there or other people there that you can think back on or run the movie in your head and get into that space of how you felt and what you saw to reinforce the fact that you can do this and it's okay and we can make things work and you can handle this. If you do that, security priming, you will be able to start to program your mind. Now, here's an interesting, interesting thing that just came up over the last few years. You can use texting in security priming. They asked the people to write a story about a security-inducing attachment figure. If you were with them, that they would make you feel or they would give you a sense of security and calmness and groundedness. Then, 24 hours later, they would text you a three-minute visualization task go look at pictures of that person they did that every day for five days so that is a tool you can do you don't have to get it text from anybody specifically if you want me to text it i'll be more than happy to help you through this and text you for five days something just to remind you to do your three minute thing i have no problem doing that i'd be more than happy to just let me know tony at javabud.com there's another great tool out there. It's called securebasepriming.org, O-R-G. And what that basically does is it gives you three different primes, which can be accessed 
by you at any time. It's like having the texts, but it's on the website. So you can do that yourself. So you can go to securebasepriming.org. If you have any questions or concerns, if you want me to text you, I'll be more than happy to. It's Tony at javabud.com. You can also get my book for free. I'm giving it away now, the PDF version, Tony at javabud.com. I'm not going to spam email you or anything. I'm not about that right now. I'm not even increasing my mailing list. If you want to get on my mailing list, go on my site and sign up for something. All I want you to do is read it and just let me know what you think about it or ask me questions during that to for clarification. That's all I want you to do. I just need we just need to interact and help each other out. That's why I do this and I'm hoping that you're doing that in your own particular capacity. I hope things are great. Stay safe. Stay separated for a while. I want to believe Everybody be good to each other. We'll talk next week. Bye. I'm too tired to pretend I don't want to be alone. I'm calling all 